0: afternoon, I'm Stephen Cairns, Curator of Artists Film. It's a great pleasure to be welcoming uh, our three artists this afternoon to discuss uh, both elements of the practice and some of the more pragmatic uh, sides to to the filmmaking. So I'm joined by Maeve Brennan, Rihanna Zaman and Graham Arnfield. We've got a selection of clips to give you an idea of how they work, what they've been working on. Uh, we'll be having a conversation uh, after the clips and also... Um, time for you to ask questions so if you have any as we go please keep hold of them and you can ask them there'll be a microphone going around at the end so to just preface the um the discussion i wanted to give you a bit of biographical information on our artists but i'm going to read it because i don't want to make any mistakes so um Graham's work is shown uh, most frequently in film festivals. He's most recently shown in the Berlin Forum Expanded, International Film Festival Rotterdam, Curtisan Festival, Berwick Film and Media Festival, uh, to name a few. Uh, Maeve Brennan's film The Drift was shown at Chisholm Hill Gallery in London. Some of you may have seen, seen that work there. It was also shown in Spike Island and the Whitworth uh, in Manchester. And Rihanna Demand's show is on at the moment in Glasgow at CCA. She's shown at Material Art Fair in Mexico City and Tender Pixel also in London. So you may have seen her work there. Um, we've got three clips, uh, from uh, one from each artist. And each artist is going to say a few words just to kind of preface the clip. So our first clip is from Rihanna. I'm going to hand over. And um, if you could just tell us a little bit about the work, um, a little bit about some of your ideas that went into the work and then afterwards we can talk a little bit about the pragmatic stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, hi everyone, thanks for inviting me Stephen. And um, yeah, so the work that I'm going to show you today is, uh, is a film called Tell Me the Story of All These Things and it's a, a sort of a seven minute clip of a 22 minute film. Um, the film was produced in 2016, 2016 for a for an exhibition, and originally it was conceived to span sort of three screens, um, but it's also sort of been consolidated into one sort of single screen version, and it kind of brings together um, a number of different figurations around uh, this one sort of central character or figure, so a, a variety of different permutations of that figure, um, who who is sort of speaking to camera while she's um, cooking a curry. And so this this figure at the center is uh, a woman called Farah, um, who's my sister. And she sort of takes you through the cooking of a curry from the beginning to, to the end. Um, but while she's doing that, she's um, speaking to me and uh, just reflecting and musing on different aspects of her experience and her um, observations of the world. And so this footage is then um, intercut with uh, material from um, that's like sort of like a CGI animated figure who emerges from this sort of landscape and then disappears again and sort of performs these kind of routine, mundane, quite banal sort of tasks and scenarios, but has this sort of strange um, sort of uh, way of moving and disappearing into the landscape. Um, and then this is also cut with material that's been appropriated from uh, the UK government's e-learning um, program on prevent, uh, which is uh, anti-government, uh, sorry, anti-terrorist, anti-government. <laughs> that's the film. Actually. No, um, so the the prevent material is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but for those who aren't, it's um, legislation that was brought out to, um, to sort of protect against radicalization within... Um, mainly in, high, in university and school sort of institutions, um, so it's it's training that's sort of pertaining to that, and it it sort of specifically targets um, a lot of minority ethnic um, and black um, and POC communities um, by virtue of what constitutes radicalisation, um, and yeah, and so those are the kind of the three main components um, that kind of sort of mingle into one another over the course of the film.
0: Great. Okay, so we're going to we're going to run the first clip and we're going to jump off stage for that as well. Thanks, Rihanna. That was great. We're going to do a bit of jumping up and down now because <laughs> <laughs> the next uh, the next uh, film we're going to see is Graham's. And uh, Graham, again, hopefully you could say a few words just to introduce the film, um, after which Maeve will show her clip and then, then we'll, we'll be back on stage to talk a little bit more.
2: Okay. Okay. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me, Stephen, uh, and thanks everyone for coming. Um, the clip you're going to see is from a film called Asbestos that was made in 2016 in collaboration uh, with a friend of mine, uh, Sasha litvin who's an incredible filmmaker and curator and human being, um, probably the most important part. Um, yeah, as the kind of title suggests, this is uh, an essay film kind of circling around asbestos as a material and as a mineral, uh, which we kind of, In the kind of history of it, where you know we once kind of extracted it from the ground, and now we extract it from our walls and our homes, it's become this kind of domesticated kind of ghost or something, which kind of plunges into our bodies and all that kind of stuff. So the kind of film kind of cuts in between these kind of discussions about extraction from the ground and extraction from walls, and this is kind of related to kind of my practice, which is very kind of found footage kind of a bed bound practice i like to call it where i'm kind of just going through youtube clips and finding kind of narratives and finding kind of forms in this way so kind of the film takes kind of extraction from um space in regards to kind of filming in a landscape which is sasha's practice uh and then my practice which is kind of extraction from context and uh from form i guess Um, so yeah that's it the whole film is about 20 minutes long uh this is nine minute clip, maybe. Um, the film premiered at Berlin Film Festival in the Forum Expanded section. Uh, and then we did a, um, a kind of very immersive uh, installation of it near King's Cross with this space called Roaming Projects who kind of um, find kind of spaces to make kind of gallery work uh, and kind of to install work in. And so it was installed in a X leather fetish shop uh, near King's Cross which we wrapped all the walls in red plastic and kind of hid the film in a corner. So you kind of like, and you had to wear red hazmat suits to go see it. So you were kind of plunged into this kind of uh, toxic environment where your body was kind of very precarious. Um, Yeah, I think that'll be enough.
0: Um, So maybe the last, we're going to see is an excerpt from The Drift. Can you say just a few things about it? Uh,
3: Yeah, thank you for having me, Stephen. Um, Yeah, so the clip you're going to see is about 10 minutes long, I think. Um, It's actually the final 10 minutes of a 51-minute film called The Drift, which um, I filmed in Lebanon uh, in the Beqar Valley, which is uh, on the east side of Lebanon, bordering Syria. Um, I'd been living in Lebanon for three years, uh, before I made the film um, and the film I guess looks um, at three main characters all working uh, with repairing objects or sustaining objects in different ways um, so there's a, a, a temple guardian who guards two Roman temples in a town called Niha and he's been there for 43 years um, and there's an archaeological conservator who's reconstructing clay fragments um, that were dug up during the post-civil war digs in Beirut um, and he's been working uh, on that for 25 years. He was um, the first person I met um, that kind of led to the making of the film. And the third character is Mohammed, who is a young joyrider who's also from the Beqar Valley um, and he is a mechanic um, and he can kind of rebuild cars with the same skill as Hashem rebuilds his pots um, so it's kind of about um, this multi-generational experience of history and how that kind of uh, I guess filters through the objects that they care for um, yeah I guess that's cool.
0: yeah we pick up more after yeah. after we see. It. Um, thank you all very much for, for sharing those clips. It's amazing to see some of the coincidental, I think some of the coincidental commonalities that come out, uh, some of the things that maybe can, can lead to some conversation, really kind of some of the things that jumped out to me were were these ideas of making and unmaking, sometimes quite hands-on, uh, this idea of time and the passing of time history and the, the kind of weight of history and the implication of physical things as well as social and political weights. Um, but I wondered if we could first just start off by, um, if I could ask you, each of you, for, for those of us who haven't seen some of your other works, would you say this is a good example of the way you work? Does it does it show some sort of continuity in relation to your other practice? Graham? I know for instance this is a collaboration we saw, so perhaps it's best to start with you.
2: Yeah, this is possibly not the most uh, perfect example of my practice as a whole, as this is uh, the, fi- well, the first and so far only collaborative film I've made. Um, but I think in the clip you can see there's these two different kind of approaches to kind of uh, image making and to world building. Um, so kind of in the, f- um, when we were making the film, uh, I mean the idea kind of was this very long kind of idea we had we were talking about asbestos just in general for about a year with literally no reason why we thought it would be a film or anything it was just this thing that me and Sasha would just talk about sometimes which is a weird thing artists do sometimes uh, and then we we were on our masters together in Kingston and the experimental cinema course and when that came to an end and Sasha went off to do a PhD at Goldsmiths and I uh, went off to go back to bed Um it was we kind of had the idea that we should make a film together and asbestos quickly became this kind of thing that we had to to do um but i say my other practice is largely a lot more kind of found footage and a lot more just kind of collecting of material which is why in the film you see all the kind of eternal internal images um uh and kind of all the stuff of kind of people filming on their phones is kind of like violent kind of networked kind of embodied images um and they, uh, those are kind of contrasted with kind of Sasha's external filmmaking. And the kind of idea that like asbestos as a town it is a town in Canada, which produced 75% of the world's asbestos, which only stopped mining in 2012, uh, which is great, lovely stuff. Thank you, Canada. Um, uh, is this kind of static kind of ghostly space now, kind of post labor. And then um, uh, all the images that I'm collecting of kind of uh, kind of dislocated throughout the world. They're kind of come from so many different places and times because the actual asbestos as a matter has been passed around the globe and kind of networks and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think those clips are probably a pretty example of my work in general.
0: Mm-hmm. Brianna, how about you?
1: Um. I think it's, uh, I'm just going to say, excuse me, I'm full of cold actually. So if I'm lacking it, if I'm not very coherent today, it's um, it's really not my fault. Uh, <laughs> but it's, I guess what I was going to say was, to some extent, yes, that film is indicative. I think I'm very interested in what happens when you place um, material um, in relation to other types of material. And the kind of things that emerge through those relationships. Um, and certainly that's something that I Keep coming back to as a as a process and a, a technique or uh, a, a device or strategy in the work, particularly when it's around a um, uh, subjectivity or, or a, a a person at the centre of it. Um, that feels quite important. A lot of my work also centres around uh, the <clears throat> the kind of overlaps or the the sort of multiplication of um, different dynamics such as race and gender and sexuality and how what happens when you place those things in class in, in relation to each other. So certainly that device then mm. uh, allows me to open up a space of thinking through that. Um, I think on the other hand, no, because uh, I have... Each, each film sort of demands its own process and I think that's what I enjoy about making films, that you can actually reinvent your process continually and sort of sharpen certain aspects and then totally do away with a process when it's completely not appropriate. So I've worked with uh, actors before, I've worked with a crew before, um, which wasn't part of this film. Um, I also am interested in how collaboration might happen or how you might build a project uh, in conversation with people. That also feels quite important to me in terms of uh, particularly thinking about where you positionality, where you're positioned in relation to uh, another person's experience, mm-hmm. uh, where you might sort of come at the at it from a very different place um so in, in relation to this film I, I don't think it was as collaborative as some of the other films that I've made um which have sort of invited a bit more shared authorship or um in terms of actual like practical things such as holding the camera talking about ways of filming a- an editing process as well so this was a bit more sort of singular mm-hmm. um yeah, and yeah, t- in terms of the animation, maybe that's also something that I am sort of continually exploring and sort of wanting to come back to a bit.
0: Great. Maeve, how about you?
3: Um, yeah, I keep forgetting what I'm going to say because I get really interested in your answers. <laughs> but um, uh, yes, I think in some ways it is in terms of the process. So it was uh, it came out of a very long period of research, which was actually living in Lebanon um, for three years. Um, and with each work, I'd like to be somewhere for a long period of time um, and let an idea kind of slowly evolve through um, different characters that I might meet um, and the project constantly gets redirected in that process. So yes, uh, it's a kind of documentary approach which is, I guess, consistent throughout my work. Um, This was definitely related in that it's a kind of, its focus is um, people with a certain expertise like um, with a physical practice that Involves a kind of um, intimate form of work with an object or material um, that's very specific. Um, And I guess I kind of like uh, shadow that and try to understand um, the world through that process or whatever they're grappling with. I worked with a crew for the first time on this film, so that was definitely a new experience, and it was the first time I ever had any money. So <laughs> it was everything else before that I shot and did everything myself. Um, so in that sense, it's a bit more flashy, uh-huh. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: one of the other things that jumped out, just another quick question before we get onto some of those more pragmatic things, was this idea of trust. And I think, Maeve, Rihanna, you're, you, there's an element of trust there in both of those examples of your work that we see and Graham with your work with found footage it's kind of like this sort of trust isn't a thing anymore with found footage or copyright somehow is like copyright and trusts somehow become intertwined or or become something different so I wondered if you could just say a little bit about the the relationship to the subjects in your work
3: should I carry on um yeah that's very important and that's part of this kind of um period of spending a lot of time with someone that I then would interview like very far into having built a relationship and trust um so like for instance like Mohammed in the car uh, I mean he was he's a pretty chilled out guy anyway but it got to the point where he was really just himself um and Fahri as well who um is the first character you see there there's also a lot of interview footage with him where he Talks very emotionally about his connection to the temples that he's guarded for 43 years, um, and during the interview, the, the first interview we did lasted for two hours, um, and during it, he cried, and there was all kinds of um, very intense moments. And I think that that's yeah, it's it's totally vital for getting something that's beyond like a normal. I guess like a, maybe a BBC documentary approach where you might go and just ask someone the questions that you already really know the answers that you want and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, being open to whatever comes from that.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, yeah, I guess um, there's a... Uh, well, where do I
1: So with this film, uh, it There's a certainly um, a sense of intimacy that um, unfolds over the course of the film that you... Farah sort of sort of moves between speaking very generally about you know ticking boxes on a questionnaire about what it means to be a British Asian uh, Muslim woman, to suddenly disclosing quite um, intensely personal material about her life and about her experience. And there's so there's kind of a a shift from speaking quite broadly to this very sort of focused way of speaking. And I think. To some extent, that is that that level of intimacy is only possible because she's my sister and we're very close. Um, but also, I think uh, partly the the setup I think um, enabled that. The, we didn't prep at all for this day. I just said I wanted to come and film her cooking a curry, and I would ask her some general things about being a woman or like uh, her experiences or something very broad and non-specific. Um, and just to see what would happen over the course of the day. And this idea that actually to set up, um, to invite her to, to do this conversation while she's cooking, um, and I think this, this idea of splitting attention was quite important so that the focus is actually on cooking, but actually what does that enable uh, in terms of a, a conversation to emerge so it's not just speaking directly to camera, um, that sort of allowed... Uh, something to emerge that I don't think either of us had anticipated actually Mm -hmm. and she was quite surprised when she watched it back and you know she was like I don't know where all that stuff came from Um, I think also with that trust comes uh, some anxiety around how do you protect this person as well because I'm aware of the context in which it's being shown and there's a a sense of uh, you know the deeply personal and what space does that have within public space of a gallery and I think that um, that question sort of is quite knotty um, and is something that I feel like we've been working through together Um, so I don't think it's an easy one to answer but certainly there's the film sort of carries that with it I think as well. Yeah
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, trust is a very complicated uh, weird thing in regards to kind of my work and kind of found footage in general uh, I guess, first of all, I don't, yeah, copyrights is things that I don't really think about or am particularly concerned about. I'm kind of just blasting through it until someone emails me and then I get sued out of oblivion. But that <laughs> will happen maybe one day and that will be, I'll make an art piece out of it or something. I don't know. I'm ready for it. Come sue me, YouTube. Come sue me. Um, no, uh, <laughs> that was a stupid thing to say. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, yeah, but anyway, so trust, yeah, I think... Especially in this film, like the reason why that the footage, the found footage, is being used is because it is about asbestos, and it is. So I'm not really taking it totally out of context. The context itself is this kind of action, in the labour of kind of all the circling things around asbestos. So I kind of don't feel like I'm kind of not taking them out of context. That's maybe how I see found footage. Mm-hmm. Although I certainly have made other films, and a film I made last year called "Shouting at the Ground," uh, which is playing. Um, it's going to show at Lux at the end of May or something so people should come to that um, is like totally yeah uh, complicit in its kind of uh, world building and conspiratorial kind of a rewriting of kind of footage like it doesn't really mm-hmm. treat it with that respect because it is a story that's about Long story, but it's a story about projection and about kind of different forms of kind of projection, so it kind of makes sense. But in regards to asbestos, it was very much, we're using this stuff because it is about asbestos. So, Mm -hmm. Um, But we did have the, someone did contact us, um, who we used some of the footage for, who is actually like, uh, owns a company that does asbestos abatement, which is kind of uh, wrapping walls in plastic to stop it going into the air. Uh and they were like, oh, I've seen my footage in your trailer. Can I use your film as a promotional thing? And then it was like, uh, maybe and then he was like, Well, can I use it as a training video then? I'm like, It's not a educational video, it's an art piece, but
0: mm-hmm. you know. R- Rihanna, how does that how does that compare with your use of the, the you know, the existing online material that you have included in your video? Yeah,
1: I'm a bit scared of being sued as well, to be honest. But um <laughs> I guess the copyrighted Oh, sorry, the use of that material. I mean, I teach, um, so I actually came across it because I was instructed to complete that training. Uh and uh and then there like there was like this amazing happy coincidence that I was working on the film and the character in the training is called Farah and the sister's called Farah and it was like oh this is too close <laughs> um but i kind of i don't know like i feel like um those things are circulating in the public domain in a way that um i guess for me it's about surveillance and about what kind of material you're privy to if you're sort of occupying certain spaces um and that you're asked to uh, implement upon other people in other spaces. So for me, I, I kind of feel it's part of uh, make, wanting to disseminate those things uh, where, with a critical eye where, and to invite an audience to sort of um, view them with a critical eye as well. Um, and so certainly placing that footage in relation to what else is going on in that film perhaps takes it into a slightly different dimension from if you would encounter it on the UK Gov website um, or in your capacity as a tutor at a university or something. But I, I don't know, yeah, I think, um, I don't know if that answers your question, maybe that's mm-hmm. enough and yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've got one more kind of nuts and bolts question about the work and then we can open for questions. That's a question to all of you, maybe, maybe if you could answer first. It's, the, uh, how was the work commissioned or how was it conceived? Where was it first shown? What sort of production did you work on? You said you worked with a team and maybe ha- the environment in which it was first shown mm-hmm. or conceived to be shown.
3: Um, so, uh, as I said before, this was the first film that I had money for. It was commissioned by Chisholm Hill Gallery with Spike Island and Whitworth, and Lismore <laughs> Castle Arts, which is the way that a lot of financing happens these days. I think it's split across multiple institutions so that they don't have to invest too much at the beginning. Um, and it was uh, actually, yeah, I mean, it was a £20,000 commission, um, and uh, they actually asked 12 artists to submit a proposal, um, and that happened at the end of 2000 and. Hmm, Wow, I don't know, what year are we in? 2018, 17, 15. Um, And uh, I had been living in Lebanon since 2013 and I also had made a film in Palestine during that time um, which contained a lot of ideas that actually led to this in terms of um, ideas around repair and restoration um, and the political agency of that in places um, that have experienced recent conflict. Um, And... Basically, uh, I thought I didn't have a film proposal, I'd been thinking of some sculptures um, which were based around these um, different sort of fragmentary objects that I was encountering a lot, both ruins and um, scrap and car parts, um, which is a really big kind of economy in Lebanon, um, and I ended up writing this proposal, um, and I guess when you have money you also feel like there's the possibility of producing something in a slightly different way, and I actually kind of conceived of the film as a more cinematic film than I had, I guess, been able to produce before. Um, so there was this kind of idea that I would retain my process from previous films, which I basically was just me and a camera and um, this time I had a sound person with me. Um, but the, all the interviews I shot were with that very small scale um, production and that kind of allowed for a con- continuation of this kind of intimate encounter um, and a more p- kind of personal footage Um, And then that was kind of one half, which um, happened over two months when I I went back to Lebanon. Uh, And then I went back for a a four day shoot, which was with a Lebanese crew, quite a small crew. um, But that shoot kind of all the bigger shots you see. I mean, the last shot with the drift and um, all the kind of landscape imagery um, we shot with like a better camera (laughs) and (laughs) all of this stuff. So I guess it kind of like opened up the possibility of a, a. different kind of image to me um, and the film was conceived for a gallery space but it has actually been shown in cinemas as well and I think because it's it's quite a long film so it's actually nice to have comfortable seating um, and it actually was really exciting to be inside a cinema with an audience who are kind of trapped there for the whole time rather than an art audience who are always kind of like looking at the door um, so yeah I think it, it kind of works in both spaces
0: Rihanna, how about you?
3: The question again. So,
0: <laughs> how was it made? W- how was the work conceived? Was it commissioned, or yeah. or was it something you were working on? Where was it first shown?
1: Yeah. Um. Sorry, I was listening. Um. <laughs> it was uh, first conceived because I had um. It. W- I was working with a gallery. Like I was going to show. I had a show coming up at Tender Pixel, which is a kind of a, a, spa- a space in um central London, and, I'd been doing a series of performances actually, a, a set of readings. Um that were dealing with um, questions that I had around um, presence and uh, racialization as a process uh, and and gender. Um, and actually, I think one of the triggers for this also was um, uh, the murder of Joe Cox, the MP, who's from the town that I'm from, um, and thinking about actually in previous works having sort of tried to uh, orchestrate or bring a piece of work into being. um, Increasingly, I wanted to think about where I was positioned in relation to that. And so I I knew that I wanted to make something where maybe I was more present in that piece or it somehow opened up something that was, that began to speak of where I might be speaking from. Mm -hmm. Um, And so working with my sister on that felt quite um, important in sort of opening up that space a little bit. Um and certainly I'd been drawing on using sort of not biograph not just biographical material but sort of snippets in the sense of um describing scenarios in these performances and readings and collaborating with sociologists or um different people in in constructing those stories. Um so because of the nature of how this work uh needed to happen, um it was me filming it in, you know, on my camera um with some like sort of chunky, like, lights that had borrowed and um, and really, like, sort of trying to scrabble around and, and pull material together. It wasn't... Um, it was commissioned by TenderPixel, but they didn't really have any money. So it was uh, more of an invitation as a place to show. So um, I fundraised and um, got some money from the Elephant Trust, which it, uh, supports a lot of artists independently. The TenderPixel did actually put a little bit of money in as well. But it was probably all pulled together and about... Uh, two thousand pounds and part of that was train fares going up and down to Yorkshire working with um, giving working closely with a friend on the animation um, and sort of trying to ensure that actually everybody I did work with got a proper day rate uh, which is something I'm trying to institute now so like nothing less than sort of 250 pounds a day or mm-hmm. something Um trying not to do those favors that just mean that you exploit all your friends for your own work um, and <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, so ma- mainly it was that, really, what that money got spent on um, I thi- and, the, and the sound, getting a sound mix done, which is the other thing that I outsourced. Um, and so it was shown at Tenderpixel as an installation, but it's been shown um, in screenings as well as a single screen thing and online as well, actually. This mm-hmm. is, so it's coming up on an online platform and which actually feels kind of appropriate given where some of the material yeah. is from.
0: Yeah, yeah, and Graham, how about you?
2: Uh, yeah I, I kind of said some this at the start but um yeah the project kind of came about as a kind of way of for me and Sasha just to continue to hang out really it was a kind of a desperate attempt to kind of just stay friends and keep hanging out um and then yeah uh, I mean the film wasn't commissioned by anyone we kind of certainly went to arts council and elephant trust and didn't get any luck there but uh, which is not no, yeah, you, you took all the money, it was, yeah, no, someone's got to. Um, yeah, we didn't have any look on that so we just kind of did it ourselves. Sasha booked uh, a flight to Canada and she arranged some screenings, one at Union Pacific in New York and then one at this gallery called, well, um, kind of screening space called Visions which is run by this guy called Benjamin Taylor. Uh, in Quebec, which is really close to where asbestos is. and In fact, Benjamin's parents actually used to live in asbestos. uh, And so he was able to drive Sasha around and show her all the good uh, asbestos hotspots. And he also did the sound as well, actually. I don't think he got paid, which makes me feel sad now. Um, uh, Maybe I should email him. uh, yeah so basically yeah it was yeah there was mm-hmm. no money involved at all and we would, we did everything we I collected the footage I did the sound mix of it I did the score of the film Sasha did the color grade mm-hmm. uh so we just had to you know exploit our own labor really because that's sometimes all you've got left is your own labor um and you find yourself just doing everything because someone's got to um And then the film premiered at Berlin Film Festival and the Forum Expanded section, which is their kind of experimental short section, I guess. Uh, And that was a really great experience. And from there, it kind of played in different places and we did an installation work for it. And we curated a program around it at Courtesan Festival in Ghent, which is one of the best film festivals in the world by my money. I think it's on next week. So people should go to Belgium next week. Um yeah,
0: that's basically it. Cool. Okay. So we have an opportunity for questions from the audience and these can be questions about the subject matter that we've we've talked about or some more practical questions perhaps. I'm sure if this is working. About okay. Okay. Um we don't we might not have a microphone. Let's see how we go. Uh you can ask some questions about budgets and production things as well, and maybe we get answers. Maybe some things won't be so easy to talk about, but um, if anyone has any questions, just raise your hand and we can try this microphone. During that time um, of waiting for that to happen, what what do you do to keep um, the project going? Does that make any sense? Was it directed at anyone specifically, or just the general?
1: Uh I think it really depends on the type of project that you're trying to produce. Um, So for me, I was... um, I suppose I was always working on this project, and and similar to me, probably like a lot of my work has quite long sort of research um, uh, lead-in time to when before I actually need to film, and so I have some rudimentary filming equipment to hand, and I'm also part of a, I guess what well, I've also had part of a network of people who enjoy making films, and so where I don't have a sound recorder I can borrow a friend's and lend them my camera that's not great but do you know what I mean there's there's a sort of a informal economy around filmmaking often that isn't um, where I think there's a mutual interest in supporting each other and that can be quite helpful in terms of just even if it's just to do with set test shots or to try stuff out or for me I kind of I guess I, I'm constantly thinking not of this like big finale moment of the production phase but it's kind of um, there might be that but there might also be um trying a few different things at the same time. So spreading things quite wide and then re-evaluating what I've got and then maybe going back and refilming or doing, you know, doing pushing one aspect forward and leaving one aspect behind. But it's really trying to let the process determine where the work's going to emerge rather than um I mean I understand that that's also that's just a different approach because when I've worked with a script and actors and a crew, you have to plan much further in advance and you really need the money in place. But I guess I, I kind of enjoy moving between the two things and that enables me to carry on making work and really like figuring out um what it is at the heart of what I'm trying to get at um and and yeah, and sort of put out in the world.
0: May how does like that compare to your experience? Um,
3: yeah, I, I guess I would say Yeah, funding or money or commissions when they come in, they also come with like very strict deadlines and that can be quite debilitating sometimes for the creative process. So I kind of agree with Rihanna that it's um, helpful to have other things going on um, basically that don't uh, rely on money. Um, So I also work with sculpture, installation, writing. I'm part of a film collective and we curate screenings together. Um, I guess it's just ways to keep some sort of creative outlet going while you're either working to some awful strict deadline or waiting for money <laughs> to make a film that you've been wanting to make for years. Um, I'm actually at the end point of a commission and I have this feeling that I want to just take back control a bit and and <laughs> just work slowly on something, maybe film something, like, yeah, <laughs> take back control. No, but, uh, yeah, just kind of... Um, I guess it's, like, getting the balance right in terms of, like, having the freedom to really work out what you want to do and... Um, Yeah, not letting money impose too much um, kind of finality on certain projects too soon or, um, yeah.
2: I definitely have the experience of kind of long research periods. The film, I'm currently making a film with uh, Film London with Flamen, and that, that film is four years old or something in terms of an idea, like it's just been kicking around constantly and, telling people it, and some people are interested, some people are not, some money comes in, some money falls out, and it just all things. But then in the meantime, you know, I made three or four other films. In the meantime, while well, I was just... I wasn't really waiting, it was more just like, it will happen when it happens, uh, and then I'd better, better get on with some stuff that I actually can do, rather than waiting for capitalism to tell me to do a thing. It's, it's always a bit debilitating. Um, yeah, yeah, just
1: maybe something that's... I think as artist filmmakers, maybe we're also in this sort of weird in-between space where we can access some money that comes from artist funding. So the Elephant Trust supports um, artists um, specifically, I think. Is it? Yeah. Um, Yeah, a lot of... Yeah, but it's kind of more orientated towards the art world, whereas, say, something like Film London is specifically... um, It's still artists, but it's... Oh, that's a bad example. But I guess it's sort of... Um, thinking about the different streams of funding that are available, so something like the Elephant Trust is a very quick turnaround as well. It's sort of six weeks. It's uh, the application is it's a quite a generous application process. So it's only 300 words or something as a proposal and a budget. Um, in my job as um, as a teacher, you, there's also other funds that become accessible through that. Um, or thinking about um, you know these these sort of big competitions like Film and Video Umbrella or um, flaming, Way it's quite a, an open call submission to access those funds. I guess it's just trying to identify these different streams as well that maybe aren't just um, film orientated, or aren't. Uh, some are very competitive, and maybe some are less competitive, and some demand like a really sort of lengthy application process that you need to work very hard on. And actually, how much is that a distraction from actually getting on and doing the work independently? How much do you need that money, and how much does will the application process distract you or give you this sort of Um, Take you away from the work at hand, so I think I think it's trying to be a bit strategic as well as as to thinking what you need at at what point. I mean, the Arts Council grants for the arts is another source of funding, but again, it's so difficult to determine whether you're going to get it or not. Or that
2: form is particularly notoriously long.
1: Yeah, yeah. and maybe it's also about seeking advice and people who have. I mean, certainly within my group of friends, we share applications. Sorry, I don't know if I should be saying that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of becomes this thing about um, y- sharing the knowledge. Like, so if you know somebody who's accessed that funding, it's you know, we un- I, personally, I'm not of the opinion that we live in a meritocracy, a fair meritocracy. So, um, I think that it is about sharing the knowledge to make sure these things are uh, as widely accessible to people who maybe don't know the tricks or don't know the language. Um, so.
0: Yeah. Y- do we have any more questions? I think yep, we got one here. Hang on, we got the microphone. That's I'm afraid working. we're going to have to
2: make this the last one because we're okay. virtually out of time. Okay. Sorry about that.
0: Cool. Um, <laughs>
3: I'm glad I got in there. Um, a question, actually. This can be a short one, perhaps, directed straight at Maeve. Um, I was, your your characters that you found were they people you met whilst living in Lebanon? I'm just interested in how you actually accessed the people, how you found the people to, you know, and knew they were the ones to to get that honesty and the story and develop with them? Um, Yes, I met them during my time there. So um, Hashem, the archeological conservator, um, I met, Almost in the first sort of six months when I was living there, my best friend there um, was an archaeologist, and she was from the north of Lebanon. So she was kind of my way into that world, and um, in the end, I met Fakhri through her as well, because she had done digs in the Beqaa Valley. So it was very like word of mouth. But I guess the one character I was seeking out myself from the um, after writing the proposal was this young mechanic uh, who was really good at rebuilding cars, and he was kind of dreamed up. So. It was a kind of fantasy and then I just drove around all the scrapyards in this specific um area that I was interested in. Um and it took two months to find him. But um yeah, it was it was just one of those magical things and he was waiting by this garage smoking a cigarette and I said, Oh, do you work here? And and then we did an interview and it turned out he was a brilliant joyrider as well. So <laughs> it was all very fortunate. It felt like a dream, yeah. So Sorry, that's not very practical (laughs) advice.
0: Um, We've run out of questions, but perhaps if anyone has any questions that you might want to ask individually, we'll hang around outside for a little while, but uh, please join me in thanking our artist
3: filmmakers.